in the book of Romans. And as I mentioned last week, we're going to take a little bit of a detour from it, but not that much because the reason we're even taking this little detour is because uh, the topic of today's message comes up directly out of Romans chapter 1 as we finished that last week. Uh, I'm going to have a long introduction today, okay? It'll be a long introduction. Uh, it's about over a third of the message is the introduction. And there will not be a really strict outline, uh, but uh, hopefully we just want to share uh, the Lord's heart this morning. I've told some folks, in fact, I got in this conversation Friday night uh, with a, a young lady that my wife and I know came over to the house, but I've said it many times that Chip Ingram, and those of you who have your handout, you already see his name on the handout. Chip Ingram is absolutely one of my favorite Bible teachers. Uh, and you say, why is that? Because almost every time I finish listening to one of his sermons, two things happen. Like almost every time, two things happen. Number one, I want to live for Jesus. I want to serve God a little bit more. That's great. Man, it must be inspiring. It is. I'm always inspired to serve the Lord more. But here's the key thing. I know a little better now how to do it, having listened to his message. And guys, I want to say that is good teaching and preaching. You're inspired by it. Man, I want to go live for the Lord, and I now know how to do it a little bit better. That's good teaching and preaching. So I very much appreciate his ministry uh, in my life, though he wouldn't know it. Two years ago, uh, I had a Sunday school. I've had a Sunday school for a long time uh, at that time period in my life. Uh, two years ago, we borrowed uh, a teaching video series uh, that Chip was, was uh, teaching, and we had purchased that, and we are using some of that in our Sunday school, and he taught along the lines of today's topic. Uh, so if you're a visitor, first-time visitor with us this morning, this is an unusual topic, but because of where we're at in the book of Romans... Uh, we will touch on it today. Let me say this. This is not trying to be a headline preacher or a shock value preacher. Really, the only reason that we're going to talk on this today is because it is so prevalent in our society and we're being fed a lot of lies by our culture. And so I want us to see what God has to say on the subject of homosexuality. And so we were watching Chip's series there with our Sunday school. And as if you've ever done one of those, he has you in your group time, kind of discuss what's been taught. And in our discussion, again, two things happen. One, our class unanimously felt that the church had failed in its approach to the homosexual issue. We had failed. And I don't mean a church, that church. I mean the church as a whole in our lifetimes. Again, I was born in 1970. The second thing that happened is it occurred to me the main reason for that failure. The main reason, I believe, is that preachers like myself have failed to get across God's heart on the issue. We've been selective on which portion of God's heart that we've gotten across. And so, frankly, today's message is an attempt uh, for me to make up for some wrongs in my past and hopefully to help out in some wrongs, uh, correct some wrongs that have happened uh, just kind of church-wide. We want to see what is the heart of God on this issue. I mentioned it'll be a long introduction. I'm going to borrow heavily. I'm not going to say everything that Chip says. They kind of split his teaching into two, two video sessions. Um, but I'm going to borrow heavily from it, kind of throughout, but particularly here in the introduction. He kind of kicks his off, and, and I guess the video that he does is mainly centered around two things. You ready? There are two differing opinions on the subject of the homosexual issue, homosexuality issue. And then he goes into seven premises and he would promote them as seven false premises in which he exposes those so kind of two differing views about the issue and then seven false premises flowing from that so let's right off the bat let's hit what are these two differing issues again this is right from his teaching here's the first position you'll follow along in your handout position number one homosexuality is a moral hey it's moral it's fine alternative you know what an alternative hey i got another idea oh, okay you got an alternative idea okay there's another way to do it oh there's a second third there's a fourth there's a bunch of ways to do this homosexuality in the first position is it's a moral alternative sexual orientation sexual orientation this view states that a person is born gay 
Homosexuality is an identity. It's their identity. We could really say, and frankly, many of them, it's like their main identity. And it's, this view would say, it's, hey, it's who they are. It would also state that it is very normal. Hey, it's natural. By the way, when we get to Romans 1, be looking for that word natural because Romans 1 will say that they exchanged the natural use, exchanged the natural. But the first view says, hey, it's normal, it's natural, it's just an alternative lifestyle. And therefore, because of all those things, it is a civil rights issue. So now we have the note, right? Write those things in. Now, as you're writing that, I'll read it again. I want you, as you're writing it, what if you in your heart of hearts truly believed all of that? If you honestly believe homosexuality, it's a moral, it's fine, it's an alternative sexual orientation. A person's born gay. Homosexuality is an identity. It's who they are. It's normal. It's natural. It's an alternative lifestyle. And it's just a civil rights issue. You would come to that last conclusion if you believed everything above it. And by the way, many in our country, that's exactly where they are. It's just a civil rights issue. They need protections and, and benefits just like anyone else. And honestly, I'm going to tell you, if I believed that, I would see it as a civil rights issue too. That's how I would view it. But then there's a second position. I know some of you are still writing, and I'll go ahead and begin verbally giving you the second view that is an opposing view. It goes this way. Homosexuality is an immoral, prohibited by God, the idea not in your note. It's an immoral, prohibited sexual lifestyle. It's learned and developed. Homosexuality is a same-sex, catch this difference, behavior. Same-sex behavior. It's what you do. It's abnormal, unnatural. And a very key phrase is this one. It's a destructive lifestyle. It's not an alternative lifestyle. It's a very destructive lifestyle, and therefore it's a moral issue. It's not just a civil rights issue. This is, a, this is about morality. So you can automatically, as you're now filling in that, that one there, you could see the huge difference between these two views. And so he lays that out, and again, I'm going to keep going. Chip then moves on, and the bulk of his teaching is mainly centered around seven different false assumptions, false premises uh, that he then exposes. And again, I'm allowing you just a little bit of time. I'm kind of going slowly on purpose. What are these seven? I'm going to go ahead and touch the first one because I have a personal take on this one. Uh, here's the first premise. Number one, hey, I was born this way. Subtitle, can't help it. I was born this way, I can't help it. Uh, I have not done all the research that Chip Ingram did in this section. Uh, it is worth, if you get a chance, uh, it's the, the series is called uh, Culture Shock, and it's a two-part series on what do you say to a gay friend, you know, how would you handle that situation. And in this particular section, which I'm not going to have time to do, uh, he goes over various genetic biological research that has been done and he kind of talks about some of the studies that have taken place in which they have determined uh, some patterns. Please get what I'm about to say. Not 100% every single time, but very often there seems to be some connecting patterns uh, that seem to take place and they come in the, in the form of developmental factors and environmental factors that can cause uh, this lifestyle. I won't go over all of those, but I'll mention a few. Please understand, this is not every time. This is just cut predominantly. Here's some of the things that they've noticed. These people were raised in a setting where fathers were absent or abusive or disengaged. Very often, not all the time, but quite often, dad was not there, dad was abusive, or dad's there, but he's just not involved. He's not really there. And often what goes with that is another factor they've seen often is very smothering mothers. Another one is early sexual abuse in the person's life. And catch this, not family conflict, but excessive family conflict and low self-esteem. Those are some of the factors that very often accompany this. Now, Premise number one that Chip exposes, I was born this way. Here's, I'm going to take a moment, and I really am going to emphasize this. I'm going to even move my arm, right, horizontally. I am drawing a line between what I'm about to tell you and what we're going to look at in a few minutes when we open our Bibles, okay? I'm going to give you my opinion. 
in my opinion, is worth about as much as the paper that it's typed out here, okay? It's not worth much, but hey, I'm going to give you my opinion. A lot of preachers would hear me say this and say, dude, you shouldn't have said that. Or why are you saying that? You're just messing it up. All right, I'm, here's my opinion. Uh, Chip would probably say, ah, I just don't agree with that. But I'm going to give you my opinion. And I'm not an expert. But it's my belief there very well may be some people who have, just my opinion, don't throw objects. Talk to me afterward. That's fine. I do believe that there very well may be some people who have a predisposition toward homosexual desire. I think that. You say, why? I don't have a scientific reason. Here's my reason. And it's, it's not me being judgmental. I hope it's not that. But I, from time to time, will come across someone. It's like without even hearing them talk, walk, or move, it's almost like, I sense they may struggle with that. And then as I hear them talk and hear their story and it becomes clear, they really do. Why? And again, this is if. I'm not saying this is true. I'm saying just me. If I have noticed that in my own life, then why is that? It may, okay, they haven't even done anything. And it, wow, it's like accurate. Uh, why, that, why did that happen? Now, I realize some preachers will say, boy, you're a knucklehead. You never should have said that. You've just excused the whole the whole movement. Hang with me and hear the whole opinion. If, not saying it is, but if what I suspect is true, then it is the direct result of the curse of sin on mankind as a result of our fall into sin. Adam led the human race into sin. We then have this curse that is brought on us. It affects agriculture. It affects our bodies. We start aging. We die. All these things start happening. And I believe if someone has that, you know, propensity toward that temptation, it's a result of the curse. You say, well, you're singling them out. Hang on. A real point I want you to remember is even if what I think is true, it still doesn't condone the behavior. It doesn't condone. You say, no, you're admitting they can't help it. Hang on. What I'm admitting is that I believe there are some people may have that predisposition toward that temptation, but I believe that becomes your fight to fight. That is your area of temptation. You identify it, you that's your fight to fight. And I would tell that person, you need to wage the fight faithfully. To say otherwise would be to just excuse it. If you just excuse that, hey, I was, I was born that way, can't help it. God's just got to be okay with it. Well, then you have to tell the guy that is faithful to his marriage vows six days out of seven. Right? Man, this guy's really good. He's faithful to his marriage vows. Only about three or four days a month is he unfaithful to his marriage vows. He's a good guy, right? And his answer is, dude, I just like, I just like, like, I like, I like, I just like women. But, but I love my wife, but I just, I just like a lot of women. Can't help it. I was made that way. Good old red-blooded American. Oh, well, well, since you can't help it, and that's your temptation, then go right on. Hopefully she won't find out. We can't do that. By the way, use another one. Someone that is really tempted by alcohol and it tempts them to drunkenness. Can I just say, by the way, that I have my areas of temptation. I know what they are. That is not one of mine. I have never one day in my life, and I know there are people sitting here right now thinking, yeah, well, there's some things that tempt me that don't tempt you, and I blow it sometimes, but I'm fighting that fight. Here's the thing. To just say, hey, hey, it was genetic, or your parents, man, it was in your bloodstream. That's fine. Just go out and get drunk then because you can't help it. No. Listen, God never goes soft on sin. We have to wage the fight against sin. I have things that would tempt me. I have to fight that fight. So we can't just say, hey, you have that predisposition. Oh, you like a lot of women. Oh, you, you have this issue over here. Just Let's just go live in sin and expect God to get over it. Can't do that. That is the wrong answer. Second premise that he offers. This one, I think, is based pretty much out of a report that came out in 1993. And here's a stat you may have heard. 10% of the population is homosexual. Surely that many people can't be wrong. That's so many people. Millions and millions and millions and millions and millions in America and around the world. Surely they can't be wrong. 
Again, I don't have time to go into Chip's research, but he reveals how a couple of things happened. Several of these reports that, mainly one report gave that high number, but the numbers were skewed and the research was skewed. And then as they compare it with other reports that were given, they have conflicting conclusions. Let me just say this to you. I don't want to go too far in it. Don't go far, but you can see how foolish this is. One report used volunteers that were prison inmates for the research. Come on. If you do that, you're going to come up with some really high numbers. That's not accurate. That's not the proper way to do that. So he ends up coming up and saying something is probably, as he compares, he did several different studies, and he noted, again, not that Chip's an expert or anything, but he said the numbers may be closer to males at 2.7%, females at 1.7%, not 10%. Third, assumption. Third premise, number three. Well, the Bible may condemn lustful, indiscriminate homosexuality. Yeah, the Bible's against it. By the way, this one's really hot today. This one's being promoted by folks that want to have a form of Christianity but still have the homosexual lifestyle with no no conviction, no guilt. So here's what this one offers. Yeah, the Bible may condemn lustful, indiscriminate homosexuality but not loving, committed homosexual practice. We're committed to each other. The Bible's not against that. Okay, that's a false premise and you'll see that in Scripture. The next one. Emotional feelings and attraction to the same sex must automatically mean that I'm a homosexual. No, it doesn't. And ends up going in and talks about developmental factors. I would add to that, we have so much pornography and things like that in our society. People, especially young people, are exposed to things and thoughts. And it it does things to their soul and it leads to confusion. So he kind of addresses that in in a lot of social development. They have needs that, that need in their soul that need nurturing and that's missing. And it can cause confusion. But no, that does not automatically mean that a person's homosexual. Here's another false premise. Once a homosexual, always a homosexual. That's false. Number six, all Christians are homophobic. They could never fully accept me if they knew I even struggled with same-sex attraction or fantasy or practice. They're all, man, they just all just hate us. And then the seventh that he offers is this. The homosexual lifestyle is, well, it's normal, healthy, alternative to heterosexuality. It's fine. It's normal. It's healthy. I want to specifically touch on that phrase there, healthy. This was actually the third one out of the seven that Chip listed, but I left it last because I want to confess to you. This one's the one that really changed my heart. My heart was changed as I watched his teaching and as I thought about it and I looked at my own life and things that I had had experienced and thought and felt and Uh, I'll make that confession in just a moment. This false premise says homosexual lifestyle is very normal, healthy. All right. Chip ends up giving some statistics. You see six of them on your handout. I'm going to touch those six, but I remember there was a section because I had a mixed company in my Sunday school. I literally had to fast forward. Even though he was teaching, I had to fast forward because he goes through quite frankly, about what is it that causes these statistics. And since I had mixed company, I was like, it's about one minute worth. I had to zip through that and just say, listen, there's a reason. I'd never heard it explained. He tells why these numbers are where they're at, particularly among males in that community. And these, these statistics that were as of 2014, when that series was released, really broke my heart. The first one is this, 78% of homosexual males have or have had a sexually transmitted disease. Let that sink in, 78%. That's astounding. Two-thirds of AIDS cases in the United States are a direct result of homosexual behavior. Two-thirds. We could debate, and I'm sure needle use is a large percentage of that other one-third, but two-thirds, you, that, you can't... I don't know how how that could be denied. Like, wow, that's very specific to a behavior. You say, whoa, that's 78%, two-thirds. That is shocking. Listen, the next four are even more shocking. Hold off on putting this one up. Don't put this one up yet, okay? San Francisco, you guys know its reputation, its population. You know what's going on there. 
If San Francisco had a rate of STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, if it were double the national average, we'd be like, well, come on, you guys. I mean, don't you know? See? If it were three times higher than the national average, it would be like, come on, really? This is alarming, guys. If it were five times higher, we'd be like, what is going on? Can you not see? This is not a healthy lifestyle. If it were 10 times higher, if it were 15 times higher, we'd be like, whoa, that's just not something in the water, right? Write this down. San Francisco's rate of STDs is 22 times higher than the national. Not, not twice, not five times higher, 22 times higher than the national average. That blows my mind. Equally as heartbreaking as this, only 3% of homosexuals are age 55 or older. I'm just curious if you don't want to raise your hand. How many of you are in here today? You're 55 or older. Raise your hand. 55 or older. Now, obviously we have our young people are out. That's like almost half of our crowd. I tried to look it up this morning, Google. You never know if that's accurate or not. But I think roughly around one-third... Probably 30 some, maybe 33, 35, 36% of our society. I might be off a little bit there. But the one that I read, that's probably represents how much in our society is age 55 or over. 3%, only 3% of homosexuals 55 years of age or older. Why? Because only 1% of homosexuals die of natural causes. That is alarming. Only one. And particularly, I will tell you, as the next one makes clear, it is much more prevalent among the males. And this, this is so sad. The average life expectancy of a male homosexual in America is 42 years old. That's how long they expect to live in that lifestyle. Can we leave those up just for a second? Could I say this? Pretend for a moment that those are not those stats Pretend for a moment those are cancer stats. And we've noted there's one food or one behavior that causes these cancer stats. Would that be on the front page often? Yes. But you don't, see, you don't hear these things. Why? Because it's not politically correct. Right? These are things that are real and this is what should be. be listen. Don't do that. Don't be in that lifestyle just for health reasons besides what Scripture has to say. But no, we want to, you know, keep these stats down and squelch them out. told you we'd not be heavily outlined today, but in my mind I have a three-point outline. The first one's not on your handout because here it is. I want to begin with a personal confession. Uh, My personal confession begins this way. I believe that we are partially a product of our environment. And I say partially because I don't want to cop out and say, hey, I can't help it. What I was raised in made me that way or made me think that way or people that I hung around, it's their fault. Listen, it's my own sinful nature that allows me to be influenced uh, the way that I was. But the fact is the environment we grow up in and the people that we hang around definitely influence this. I mention this for this reason. I was raised in western North Carolina in the 1970s and 80s, all right, in the country. So you can figure out this topic. I'm raised in western North Carolina in the 1970s, 80s. Uh, It's a lot different now than it was then. Uh, Yeah, I remember there was a show called uh, Three's Company, and that was very controversial, right, because Jack plays off as if he's gay so he can uh, stay with whatever the other two girls were in in the apartment, right? Now some of you are messed up. You got a little tune in your head. You got the, you got the show. Anyway. Da, 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 da. Like, ah, you, you stop. You're killing me. Some of you remember that. Ooh, that was cutting edge, right? That doesn't move the needle today. That's when I grew up. And as a result of that, where, by the way, I love North Carolina. I'm not throwing North Carolina under the bus. I love North Carolina. I love South Carolina. I've lived all my life around here. But part of that has resulted in me having the certain attitude toward the homosexual community that I had. Here's my confession. I don't know where it is. I could pro- hope, 
I might be able to put my hands on it, but I remember a cassette of me preaching at my home church in North Carolina in 1997. I remember I was preaching on 2 Timothy where Paul tells Timothy that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. We looked at that last week, right? When we go into sin and we just keep choosing sin and we keep throwing God off, God abandons mankind in his sin and it spirals downward and downward one level of sin is never enough that that's old that doesn't that doesn't excite anymore so we go downward downward and Paul says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse the idea of worse and worse and I remember talking how we get used to the dark and we get used to sin and what used to shock us doesn't shock us anymore and I talked about how in 1988 Uh, Deanna and I started dating in September 1988. I was a freshman. Uh, We got permission from parents and school administration. I was able to drive her home to Philadelphia. I'd never been to Philadelphia. Going to take her home for Christmas. And I remember one day... We were going to go downtown. She's going to show me this huge mall that she used to work at. We're going to get our pictures made. And I have such fond memories of that. But I remember this. We're on a trolley. They don't have the trolley anymore in downtown Philadelphia. We're on the trolley. And she says, oh, yeah, right over here is the gay bar section. Gay bar, West North Carolina. Weaverville. We don't have gay bars in Weaverville. What? There's a gay bar? No, gay bars. Uh, oh, they're right over there. And I'm watching as people are just passing by, reading the paper. Nobody on the trolley. I'm outraged. What's going on? Why are we out? What's, what is this? It's like, this is Philadelphia, dude. This ain't Weaverville. And I'm thinking evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. And we got to do something. So I'm preaching on this in 1997, like nine years later, right? I've got this text, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing a good job with the text. It was accurate. I'm accurate in using this illustration, how we get used to the dark and we get used to sin. It doesn't shock us anymore. You say, so what is your confession? Because there's a point in that message where I ask this to that congregation in Western North Carolina. I said, do you remember the first time you saw a man kissing another man? And in the background, you can hear, oh. And then I said, do you remember the sudden urge to grab a ball bat? That was me. I said that in a message, and I zealously said it. I didn't slip it out there. I was zealous. You won't know what else is sad? In the background, you hear, amen, amen, amen. And if you're sitting here saying, What's his point? I wish I could go back and undo that. Because that was sad. I wish I could just take those words and pull them back, but I couldn't. Can we look and see what the Bible has to say about this issue? We're going to skip some highlights. Obviously, we'll begin in the Old Testament. We will not start in Genesis 19. You know the issue of Sodom and Gomorrah. Would you go quickly to Leviticus 18? Leviticus Chapter 18, Leviticus 18, verse number 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses. By the way, Israel is out of Egypt. They're not in the promised land. They've just received the commandments at Mount Sinai. And the Lord is setting up the theocracy. In other words, you are a new nation. I am your king. I'm directly your king. I'm going to speak through Moses. He'll be my front man. But God is in control. God is the leader. Everything is centered around this Lord God. So verse number 1 of uh, Leviticus 18. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. Your God is the I am God. Things are going to change. Verse 3. Tell them this. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. You're going to live different than where you live. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. Here it is. You're not going to live like the people where you left. And you're not going to live like the people live where you're going. Skip down if you would. Verse number 21. Because he touches a lot of sins and a lot of things that had been going on in Egypt and in Canaan. Verse number 21. Here's some more prohibitions. Very specific now. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch. People were offering in, in Canaan. They would offer their children as sacrifice, living sacrifices in a fire to the god Moloch to make him happy, to appease him, to sacrifice to him. And God says, you tell, Moses, you tell the children of Israel, my people, you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. 
You shall not lie with male as with a woman. It's abomination. And you shall not lie with any animal and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It's perversion. This is what God says. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all these things, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. Hey, the Canaanites, that's what they've been doing and that's why they're getting ready to lose their land and I'm going to move you into it. Verse 25. And the land, because of what they've done, the land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Catch it. Here's the prohibitions. And there's many more I skipped over in the verses between 3 and 21. You're going to be different. You're not going to do like the, like the Egyptians and you're not going to do like the Canaanites because they do all these things and you're not going to do them. You say, okay, great, prohibitions. Is there any teeth to this? Flip over to chapter 20. Yes, there is some teeth to this because here we find the punishments. And again, this is just a sample selection. There's much more in this section. Leviticus chapter 20, look at verse 10. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor... Both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. If a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed. We're not going to do the way we've seen it done before. God's letting them know. And here's the punishment. They have committed perversion. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes a woman and her mother also, it's depravity. He, he and they shall be burned with fire. Very specific this time. It's going to be burned with fire. That there may be no depravity among you. If a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death. And you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and lies with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. You start to get the picture. Death, death, death. Now, some folks in my past would say, now why don't we do that now? Let me tell you why. The United States does not have a covenant with God like Israel had. Israel was a theocracy. We are not, you say, or oh, our founding fathers, great, the Lord gave us founding fathers, many of whom were Christians, but not all of whom were Christians, and we have biblical principles, but we do not have a covenant from God, so we cannot just put these laws in place. If so, if you say, well, I think we should pull that one out. Okay, great. You've got to remember, adulterers have to be stoned. And they say, yeah, well, okay, maybe we don't need to do that one. False teachers have to be killed with a sword. Boy, we wouldn't have many preachers left these days, right? Got to kill them very specifically with a, with a sword. Here's my point. I find it very alarming that in our time period, a lot of folks are aware of those two passages that we just read. They're aware of what Leviticus chapter 20 says. And here's their conclusion. Yeah, that was God in the Old Testament. God doesn't think that way anymore. And that's all that the Bible, it's an Old Testament thing. It's not a New Testament thing. Well, one, I have a couple problems. Number one, um, that's not accurate at all. Uh, the other is even if we only had this as a sample of what God thinks, we would know that God has a disdain. He has called that activity abominable as well as all of the other ones that were in that same section, a lot of which were heterosexual activity. Those are abominable things. Something else you will not find in Scripture, I find that no one wants to address this, not one time is, is the homosexual lifestyle ever promoted as a good, healthy alternative. Hey, God's like, hey, for you guys this, and for you guys this. Why isn't it in there if it's okay? So we come to the New Testament. Would you go with me just for a moment because we've been there so much recently. Romans 1, we'll just read this again, Romans 1. Even before the epistles, we find in the Gospels that Jesus acknowledges, and I think I skipped a note there, uh, so if you want to just write those words in. Jesus, even Jesus, God in the flesh, acknowledged that God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was a real event that was a righteous act, and he doesn't apologize for it. So Jesus talks about, yep, Sodom and Gomorrah really happened, and he doesn't say, hey, I'm sorry that, and I need to make apologies. He doesn't deny that it happens. It's a real historical event, and he knows the reasons that it did happen. Romans chapter 1, therefore, verse 24, therefore, 
The therefore, again, I can't preach the last two weeks' messages again, but here's the point. God has revealed himself to wicked man in his conscience. He's revealed himself through creation. And wicked man's response is, I I don't want to acknowledge God. I don't want to glorify God. I'm not even going to say thank you, God, for the things that you've given me. And so they end up moving away from God, and God abandons them and lets them go and, and, and lets them have their sin. And as they have their sin, they go deeper and deeper into sin, which we're about to read. And so that verse number 23, they exchange the glory. You're going to see the word exchange come up again and again. They exchange the glory of the invisible God. So I have this invisible, immortal God. Catch this. God is invisible. But he's so powerful and it's obvious that he's there that he created this physical world and all of its beauty and all of its largeness. So that in and of itself says powerful things about him and it gives him a glory but mankind wants to take the immortal God whose spirit and make him into the form of a man or a bird or four-footed beast or a crawling thing and so God lets man go verse 24 what happens therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the so if someone says yeah God's view of homosexuality in Leviticus that's not representative of the whole Bible okay I that's just not accurate. It's in the New Testament. God gave them over in the, lust of their, lust, in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so he lets them go and all of a sudden they start venting their heart, their heart and they have all types of sexual sins. Verse 26, I believe, is a result of verse 24 and 25. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations. I'm not, listen, I'm going to say one quick thing. Men and women are made differently, and if you think about that, it's very obvious. Oh, they're fit. They go together. Husband and wife, they fit. But the women exchange natural relations. That's not natural. They exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed. The idea burned in their lust. They're consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. How could you say that it's just an Old Testament? Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In fact, I want to encourage you, put a marker there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because we'll become, this is where we'll finish also. 1 Corinthians 6. Verse number 9, it's not just an Old Testament thing. Can I give you a 30-second background on Corinth? You ready? I think 30 seconds. The city of Corinth, because it was situated on a little neck of land, so you have Achaia, or I'm sorry, Macedonia, northern Greece, comes down to a little bitty neck of land, like three miles across it. And then you have Achaia, the southern portion of Greece. Corinth is situated right there. So here's what you have. You have north-south land trade and merchants bringing their items from Macedonia down into Achaia, Achaia back to Macedonia. You have men leaving their families, their merchants, businessmen. They have their products, going to sell it, and they're moving it north and south right through Corinth. And they're gone for a long time. Also, this because it comes down to a little neck, you have guys with ships and they have their products and their trade on the ships and rather than go around the southern part of Greece which has all these rocks and and it just destroys ships, what they do is they come into Corinth's port and they get up on rollers. They come out of the water and they move them on rollers and then they put them on the western side of the water. That way they can move on up into Italy. So here's what you have. You have many, many, at any given day, many, many men who've been away from their families for a long, long time that could be a problem. Yet on top of that, Corinth was the home to the temple to Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, and there were a thousand prostitutes who come down out of the hills every night to help people worship. You figure that out. So then, Paul says in verse number 9, 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The context here is... You Christians in the church, the Corinthian church, you're suing each other and and you're taking each other to court and instead of going down to wise people in the church that have the Holy Spirit in them to help you resolve your conflict, one, you shouldn't be having these conflicts, two, you're not getting them resolved in the church, you're you're going and suing each other outside the church with unsaved judges. Verse 9, 
Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? What does the Bible say about this issue that we're talking about today? It's Old Testament only. No, it's not. Verse, five, verse 9 continues. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. That phrase there has both partners in that. That's all I'll say. It has the passive, it has the, the aggressive, it has the husbandy one, it has, it has the wife one. Nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. How can someone say, yeah, it's just an Old Testament issue? It is obviously downed and shown as immoral, wrong behavior, wrong thought in the New Testament as well. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Paul's saying the law is good, but verse number 9, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Understanding this. Hey, Paul, do we even need the law anymore? Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just. Hey, we don't have a 35-mile-an-hour speed zone over here in front of Westside for people who have a lick of sense. You know why we have it? It's for the person who thinks 70 miles an hour at 745 on a school morning is a good speed. Coming through that, no, no, knucklehead, flashing light, 35, slow down, be ready to stop. So we have laws. Verse 9, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. And then Paul tells Timothy some examples. Those who strike their fathers and mothers, that's sin. For murderers, that's obviously sin. The sexually, sexually immoral, obviously sin. Men who practice homosexuality. Enslavers, going, capturing someone just so you can sell them. Liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Could we have also Jude? Jude does not have chapter division. Look at verse number 7. Just, Jude says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual activity, uh, sexual immorality, and pursued unnatural desire, those cities serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. That's what the Bible, those are some passages. So everybody understand, that's not, you can't just say, yeah, it's Old Testament. No, the Bible is very clear, it's in the New Testament. Now here's the home stretch of the message. Two questions to consider. Chip proposed two questions, and I'm going to throw the exact same two questions to us this morning. Number one, how has the church failed in its response to homosexuality? So, Jeff, you said earlier you felt like your class unanimously felt that the church had failed in this issue. How has the church failed? I remember, I don't remember who all was there, but I remember the basic people that were in the class week to week. And I just remember sitting there as we batted that around, and I just remember not a bad kind of pride, but just thinking, man, I'm so proud of this class. They get it. They were, they were, they were still keeping intact the holiness and the justice of God, but they were also bringing in the mercy and the grace of God, and they were putting it all together. And I just remember thinking... Lord, thank you for growing this group of people to where they get this issue. And then after they shared various answers, I remember sharing my answers, and I'm going to offer my opinion here. How has the church failed? Some of this is Jeff Bartlett. Number one, I think the church has failed because we have mostly name-called with an air of hatred. You ever seen that? You ever seen that? using names and phrases that are intentionally meant to dig and cut and, and cause pain to people. What have we done? Mostly name-called with an air of hatred in what we're saying. as almost as if we have forgotten that it is purely God's grace that has kept us from that activity or any other activity that is sinful. It is only God's grace. How dare we just name-call with hatred? Second thing I've noticed we've done is this. Not saying you specifically. I'm not saying our, you know, grace view. I'm saying this. I don't want grace view to be this because I think the church has failed secondly this way. We've cast condemnation with an air of delight. We've cast condemnation with an air of delight. I don't know if Deanna will remember this. This was way back in the 90s. Early 90s. We were coming out of, this is before by low bond secours arena we were coming out of the old Greenville Memorial Auditorium we had just been to uh, some of you, you some of you like this we'd just been to a Gaither homecoming right but there were some folks that the Gaither style of music 
wasn't godly enough for what they thought. And so they're out street preaching to all the people coming out of the Gaither concert. We had just had a good time singing and worshiping the Lord in there. And out we walk. And you know what I hear? You're going to hell. And I'm like, why are they preaching? They're preaching against our music. And what bothered me is some of them went to the school I was at. I'm like, man, I want to go punch you in the face. Put me in the flesh. Like, what? You knucklehead. What are you, what are you doing? But there was such, you're going to hell. Christians who cast off others in delightful condemnation for any sin or for their homosexuality only do so because they don't understand hell. We don't understand hell. If we had an inkling of what it was, how long it lasts, and how tormentuous it is, we would never be delightful in pronouncing condemnation. Hey, that's not allowable. Me, at age 27, wrong. Stop it. You don't get to do that. The other thing that I've noticed we've done where we failed, we failed to offer hope or acceptance. We've name-called with hatred. We've condemned with delight. But we don't offer any hope. And I'm not using the word acceptance like, hey, your sin's fine, it's okay. Just continue right on. God's good with it. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the person. And the even more important question is the second one. How do we not, this is a great question. I don't even know if you could improve on the wording. Chip offers this for us to think about. How do we not, as a church, not lower the bar of righteousness? Not lower the bar of righteousness and yet create a safe place in our churches for those in the homosexual lifestyle to find the love and the grace of God? That's a great question. So how do we not lower the bar of righteousness, keep it right where God has it, and yet still create a safe place in our churches for those in that lifestyle to find the love and the grace of God? Now, you need to chew on that because we're getting ready to try to answer it. You know why this question is so important? You see that last part? Safe place for them to find the love and the grace of God. If they don't find the love of God and the grace of God among Christians, where will they find it? Somebody's going to offer them love, but it won't be the love of God and the grace of God. So they're going, to, they're going to get it from somewhere. If they don't get it, you say, so then we just excuse and dismiss. No, no, that's not the point. Don't lower the bar of righteousness, but can we keep that where it's at and still offer a safe place where they can actually? You say, well, I don't know that I want them to receive the love and the grace of God. Then you're Jonah. You're Jonah. Jonah has the truth that Nineveh needs to escape judgment, but he doesn't want to give it because he's afraid they'll actually enact upon his message and they'll repent and sure enough, God, you will forgive. I don't want to tell them. What? And so that's the way we can be if we're not careful. You say, how do we not lower the bar and yet create this place for them to receive the love and the grace of God? Number one is very, all three of these are super important. Number one, it begins by changing our inward attitude toward how much grace God has shown in forgiving us our sins. That's where it starts. For me to have the right attitude toward anyone in that community, I've got to remember, man, Jeff, wake up, dude. Do you know how much grace of God it took to save your hell-bound, wretched soul? Hey, by the way, when's the last time you felt your sin? Have you felt the weight of your sin? When we feel the weight of our sin, we'll stop being so condemning with delight and name-calling with hatred. It starts with, God, break my heart. I'll repeat what I said last week, guys. Our sin is not better sin. Number two, how can we not lower the bar and yet create this safe place? This one's intentional. You say, well, I don't really know that this message is even needed. Oh, it will be needed. When the opportunity presents itself, we must exhibit and verbalize the same grace, the same welcome to a practicing or struggling homosexual as we would to a person struggling with any other sin. You say, well, what if they actually come and to our service? We're going to talk about that. Well, if they end up like, you know, it's what is it, the water and the pepper and you drop the oil in there, whoop. All the pepper runs to away from the oil. Okay. They're, not, they're never going to feel the love and the grace of God. They're never going to hear the message of God. 
We have to exhibit and verbalize the same grace as with anybody else struggling with sin. And then third, this is where you don't lower the bar. You offer the truth in love with an air of hope in God's ability. Hey, guys, here's what I'm convinced of, and I know it for a fact. I know it for a fact. Our God is almighty. He's able to give victory over any and all sin. No one has a level of sin in their life that if they will confess it to God, God will forgive them and change their life. I believe in the power of God. So that's our message. Hey, we're not lowering the bar. It is sin all day long. But listen, God will forgive you. You need to repent. You need to see it as sin. Repent. Beg God to save you. He is all-powerful. The key in that phrase, that last part, is those three words, truth in love. Because what I found is we preachers, we've kind of conditioned Christians in our congregations that we get to be selective on the message of God. We can share the condemnation part, which is accurate, Condemnation, very heavily, sternly, fiercely, callously. But we withhold the love and the grace part. You are in this sin and you're going to get judged for it. I am just letting you know. Is there more? No, I just wanted you to know. So you can live the rest of your life in fear. Is there any hope for me? None whatsoever. What? Can't be our message. Two years ago where I was at, I had a church member, a lady, pulled me aside, very private conversation, and said, uh, Pastor Jeff, I have a loved one, told me the loved one, and said she's a practicing homosexual, but we've been trying to witness to her from afar. They live out of state, but they're actually going to be coming and visiting with us. Do you think we should bring them to church? You pause on that. We have this loved one, this family member, and they're practicing homosexual, and they're going to be visiting. We've been trying to witness from afar. Do you think we should bring them to church? How does that make you feel that, that, that she even asked that? Knowing the church culture, do you know why she asked that? I do. Oh, I know exactly why she asked it. I want to pause. This is subtle. I think it'll be subtle. I'm going to keep my voice down. Why do we allow a stigma to be placed on our brothers and sisters in Christ? You say, oh, the, the homosexual. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the one sharing this question with me. Why do we allow a stigma to be placed on our brothers and sisters in Christ who have family members struggling? You ever notice this? Here's what I notice. Ah, This isn't so subtle. Yes. Hey, pray for my so-and-so family member. They're having heart surgery. Okay. Uh, Pray for, I have a family member and they're having uh, part of the intestine removed. Okay. You know what we don't ever do? Will you pray for us? We're really struggling in our marriage. And we're about to leave each other. We don't do that. Why? Stigma! Judgment! Or, I got a family member and we're just broken over. Would you help us pray? They're they're struggling with with homosexuality. I know why people don't share these requests. They're afraid they're going to get judged. In fact, the lady that I'm talking about, when she shared this and the loved one came, I was told, best friend, stop having anything to do with her because she had a family member. Grace, you don't ever be that way. Don't be that way. Please. You say, what'd you tell her? I told her, absolutely, she must bring her. And when she comes, make sure that I meet her and my wife meets her. He said, why is that? So we could... Go hug her and love on her and let her know she came to the right place. Now, I did tell the lady who told me this. I said, listen, we don't know what's going to be said from the platform that day. We don't know what day it'll end up being. You don't even know that day yet. But when it comes, and the pastor doesn't need to, like, get a notice, hey, uh, oh, okay, well, I can't touch on that. No, he needs to have freedom and liberty to preach the truth. But what we're hoping is when they come and whatever it is, it'll be the truth in love with a spirit of brokenness and humility but you need to bring them would you go back I told you we'd go back there 
nearing the home stretch here, guys. Almost done. First Corinthians chapter six. Would you go back there? First Corinthians six. Look at verse nine again. But this time we're going to add verse eleven. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And then here's the list, right? The list. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Earlier when I read that whole list, you remember the list? Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Timothy 1, Jude verse 7. When we read that list, what did that make you think and feel? Because here's, here's my question. I got another, this is my question. Those were chips. Are the following people welcome to attend our services? Are these people welcome to attend? Someone struggling with alcohol. You're like, well, I kind of hope they would be. Is someone who struggles with alcohol welcome to attend Graceview? Is someone who struggles with pornography welcome to attend Graceview? Man, they're fighting. It's in their life. Another question. Is someone who's struggling with discontent and coveting, can they come here? Ah, you know what you just did in your brain? That's not bad. That one's okay. The other two, as long as they're not beside me. Discontent and coveting, not a big deal. Oh. What if someone comes to Graceview, what if they came this morning, and they are really struggling with bitterness and anger. They have real anger issues, real anger issues, and the family knows it. Or they're here this morning, and they lie, kind of regularly. They lie. They just stretch the truth or just make a big, bald-faced lie. Or what if someone really is struggling with slander? Or what if someone really is just getting, just kind of beat down fairly often with pride? Those last ones, those aren't that bad. Oh, well, Ephesians 4 says otherwise. What about if someone's struggling with idolatry? You're like, Jeff, dude, this is, I know Romans 1's in your head, but this is 2017, it's America. We don't have like little totem poles. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking someone who struggles with idolatry. You know, they worship their kids. You know, they worship their kids. Their kids get all their thought, all their time. Their kids get their best energy. You know the type. They struggle with money. Their money gets all their thought and their energy. They struggle with their job. They worship the job. The job gets energy, thought, planning. It's the best of them. God, you get kind of the leftovers. You know the type, the ones that struggle with sports. You know the type, if they're not really protective, they'll think about it and research and whoo, it's ah, right, the big game. You know idolatry. And we go, well, of course they're welcome. What we would tell them is, listen, come to the house of God and get strengthened with your anger and your idolatry and your slander issues. Come get strengthened. What about the homosexuals? You need to go get fixed, and then when you got clean, then you come on back. You know what that makes us? Hypocrites. Wouldn't we tell these people, come to the house of God. You came to the right place. Because you're going to hear the truth. We're not going to sugarcoat it. That's sin. But our God is so strong and powerful, he can overcome that in your life. If you'll ask him to save you and submit to his Holy Spirit inside you, he'll, 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 he'll... give you victory over that it'll be a daily battle but he'll give you victory why don't we call it sin but something that God can fix ah God I'm ahead of somebody brother Jeff I know the reason because it's an abomination it's different true don't turn there can we have the Proverbs 6 on the the screen look at Proverbs 6 notice these verses Ah, abomination there you see look at this Homosexuality is abomination. That is true. But so is the list of things in Proverbs 6. Read these verses. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. Here here we are. Isn't that so-and-so? That's a homosexual couple. 
God hates that. It's an abomination. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Always thinking of wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And really the whole point of this list really is all magnifying the last one, the seventh one, because it goes back to the verses that are before it. One who sows discord among the brothers. So here's what we do. As long as somebody's religious... And they're doing the church thing, but they're constantly creating disunity and disharmony in God's house among God's people over nitpicky little things that don't matter. You're fine because you're spiritual and religious. God says it's abomination. Are y'all still in 1 Corinthians 6? Look at verse 11. And such were some of you. What exactly in verse 11 makes it possible for these people to have victory over that list of sins? Were, you were, such were some of you. Here's why. Paul says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You really need to get what I'm about to say. You really got to get it. What allows were to be said? You were this, but you were that. Because they were washed. Listen, any, anybody who was there at Corinth that was in the church, truly saved, that did those things, Paul says, yeah, God has removed the filth. It's filthy, but God removed the filth of your sins because he piled it on Jesus, and then he poured his wrath on Jesus. Jesus took all that filth and paid for your penalty on the cross, and now you get to be declared righteous because you've been justified. You want a thought you haven't ever thought of? Hit me this week. Not one, not a few. Many who have acted out multiple or many times homosexuality, they not only make it to heaven and eternity, they will rule and reign with Christ and they very well might be over some of us. Why? Because our God is gracious. God gives victory over even the things on that list. Blows my mind. And then I think about Jeff. And Lord, look at mine. You even let me be part of I get to rule and reign. You get to rule and reign. Chapter 6 right here at the beginning. Jeff, don't you know that you guys judge the world and you judge angels? And people in this list will be judging angels. Right now angels are way over us, more, much smarter, much more powerful. But in the end, we end up over them. You say, you say homosexuals, some of them that have got saved in Christ, they're going to be ruling and reigning and have super high positions? Absolutely. That's how powerful our God is. He is great. And they've been sanctified. Here's the last thought. You know what sanctification is? It's a process. Washed one time, the blood of Christ. Washed forever. Blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Justified one time, God declares the person righteous because he dealt with their sin in Christ. Sanctified is an event where God sets the person apart. You are set apart. But it's an event that has a continuous process to it in the Christian life. You say, Jeff, what's your point? You know right here today there are people that struggle with idolatry and anger and bitterness and they still struggle with it. But they're fighting. And even as I'm preaching this morning, the Holy Spirit in them is like... You need to turn to me and release to me that sin. Yep. So here's my point. There are people who have been in the homosexual community, got saved, and they are being sanctified, which means, you say, what if they ever have a temptation? Some may never have that temptation again, but some will battle it for the rest of their life. And that's their fight to fight. And that's not excusing sin, and that's not lowering the bar. Because there are Christians who are battling pornography, but they're battling it. And there are these other people in this category. There are thieves. They stole. And it is hard for them to walk through Belk. Like, I know how to do that. Do what? Don't worry about it. I'll give you one when we get out in the parking lot. Because they can. And it's a struggle. And they're born again. Verse 11. Such were some of you. Hey, listen. If you're here this morning, you are so guilt-ridden. You're like, man, my sin is the worst ever. You read that list, and I'm here to tell you, God can forgive of any sin there is. God is that powerful. Christian, sanctification's a process. You need to keep fighting. Don't just quit. Don't lay down. Holy Spirit, I need your victory in my life. Would you bow your heads this morning?
like last week, I kind of opened up last week. And there were no takers, not surprisingly. So this week, unless you just feel led, today is not a come forward invitation. Today is an opportunity for you. I want to invite everyone. I know there's a little bit of movement as our worship team has taken their position. In the moment, we're just going to close with a song. But before we do that, if you're a Christian, where you kind of dial in your concentration, bring God into your focus. If there's something between you and the Lord, confess it like right now. Are you there? But if you're a Christian, why don't you take just a moment and say, Lord, thank you for cleansing me of all my sin. The topic today may not be my area of temptation, but Lord, you have forgiven me of much and I want to say thank you for that it's a time of thanksgiving I don't have to wait till November to give thanks God I just want to thank you for cleansing me and Christian I'm still talking with you why don't you take just a moment and just pray to God Lord make us clean make me clean Lord keep me clean as we confess Lord we know that our cleansing comes from confession according to 1 John 1 9 But Lord, help me to forsake my sin and see victory over my sin as you are powerful in my life. Lord, I I need to, on purpose, whether I feel it emotionally or not, in my faith, claim the word of God that according to Romans 6, you give me victory over sin. And so, Lord, I've battled it. Maybe I've lost this week. Lord, I'm confessing it. I want new, fresh cleansing today. Christian, I'm going to invite you right now, like a lot of individuals around the auditorium that represent our church as a whole, pray this to God. God, would you give us your mind, your eyes, your heart of love and compassion? Lord, people around us may be struggling with this very issue or some like it that was in this list that Paul gives Lord let them hear from me and from us the truth in love God give us your heart your mind your eyes your ears even that we can hear their cries their unspoken cries God give us a heart of compassion God, give us a love. We sang earlier about shouting out to the nations a message of our God being with us. Lord, thank you this morning. This congregation is joining me right now. God, we thank you that 2,000 years ago you took pity on fallen mankind. We were wallowing in our sin, and you sent the Savior, your very Son, God in the flesh, who came and took a whole world's sin and paid for it on a cross and this guy right here gets to go to heaven because of it Lord thank you for that day in 1979 that you just convicted me where I couldn't take it anymore and I just yielded thank you Lord that those effects are just lasting throughout eternity but God if there's one here this morning and they're just struggling with guilt and they think you cannot forgive them Lord, don't let them lessen their sin, but let them see your grace as greater because of what 1 Corinthians 6 teaches us. Such were some of you. Lord, teach them that they can be in that crowd. God, I ask you to give them faith. Give them faith in how powerful Jesus is, how pleased you are with his death on the cross. Lord, let them hear these words right now. You said if anyone puts their faith in Jesus... Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Lord, give them faith to take Jesus up on his promise that if anyone comes to him, he will never cast them out. Lord, I'm going to close this prayer right here. Let us live up to our name. Let this church right here on Centerville Road live up to its name as we intentionally keep a view toward grace.